This is KOOP HD1, HD3, Hornsby. The following was home crafted and recorded on September 7th and September 9th. Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. We're going to kick off today's program with a conversation about the highway that everyone loves to hate. You might even be stuck in traffic on it right now. We are of course talking about I-35, which is currently the hot topic in town as plans are being discussed to widen the highway, to bury the highway, or just to leave the highway alone. So I've asked Chronicle News Editor Mike Clark-Madison to join us to explain all of the options on the table. Mike, thanks for joining us again. No problem. Great to be here. And we've also got joining us this week Chronicle publisher Nick Barbro, who is going to offer us his unique perspective of a small business owner operating in the shadow of I-35. Hello, Nick. Hey, how you doing? Good. We've got a lot to talk about, so we should just dive right in. Mike, why don't you tell us why everyone is talking about I-35? So yes, I-35, which is that highway that runs right through the middle of central Austin, had been probably the focus for about 30 years of you know, various efforts to do something about it, to fix it, to improve it, to rebuild it, to widen it, to, or to do something in the opposite direction, like bury it or eliminate it. And right now, TxDOT, the Texas Department of Transportation, is in the process of going through the environmental study and review process that has to happen in order for the major rebuild of I-35 through Central Austin to proceed. It's what they're calling the Capital Express Central Project. There's also a North and a South, and the three of them together is Capital Express, which is I-35 through Travis County from SH-45 North to SH-45 South. This piece is the downtown piece, which is between 290 East, Canning Lane, Manor Expressway, and 290 West, Ben White Boulevard. So UT, downtown, over the river. This is very expensive. The cheapest option of a rebuild on the table right now for TxDOT is they're estimating it's about $4 billion. They have lined that money up, which is you know not a small feat, even in a state that likes to build roads. So they're moving forward and want to actually get something done. The process that they're in now, they're taking comments on the alternatives that they're going to advance to the further study, which will take about 18 months. The comments are being received online at their virtual open house through September 24th. So this is an opportunity for Austinites to weigh in on what they want I-35 rebuild to look like. Over the next 18 months, they have a lot of detailed study to do, but they have to address all of the comments that they get during this phase of the environmental review process. That's federal law. Now, will they address them as well as you would like them to? Probably not. They never do. 
but they can't blow you off entirely because there would be potential risks down the line, like getting sued or having the feds come in and shut down the project. Both of those things are happening right now in Houston on Interstate 45, which is another controversial rebuild. Some of those things are also starting to happen potentially in Southwest Austin at the Oak Hill Expressway project. So it's not like your opinion doesn't have any impact here. So the leading proposition right now is widening the highway in the central stretch, which is the opposite of the no wider, no higher sloganeering that was happening before, correct? That's correct. And that's why a lot of people are really angry at TxDOT right now and are in a mood to say that they'd rather not do it at all than do it badly the way that they think TxDOT posed it. TxDOT originally, when they said no wider, no higher, and they kind of lined up behind that vision for I-35, they had thought that they were going to tunnel a lot of the new capacity that they're adding these two managed lanes on each side, which are kind of like HOV lanes or may someday be toll lanes like the ones on Mopac or could even someday be transit only lanes, not just two regular car lanes. They were going to tunnel those under and they were going to depress everything else. And so at ground level, I-35 would be much less visible than it is now and it would not form the wall that it does now between downtown and East Austin. That plan has now been taken off the table because TxDOT thinks it's going to be too difficult and too expensive to accomplish, even though it was largely their idea in the first place. But that's how these things go. We really probably can't get deep into that, but we should acknowledge that that wall between downtown and East Austin has some pretty serious historic implications in this town, too. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that is freighting this project with a lot of community interest and expectation because it's kind of the most visible sign of Austin segregation, reminder that Austin has been a city that hasn't been equally accessible to people of all colors, is not delivered on equity promises. So people would like to see it gone. So before you tell us about the other alternatives, I want to bring Nick into this conversation so we can talk about what kind of implications that the widening would have in this stretch for businesses that flank the highway, which includes, as I can see in the building, my boss is currently sitting in the office at the Austin Chronicle. So Nick, you've met with TxDOT. Yeah, I'm sitting right about on the new property line, I think, if I'm looking at their maps right. We're in the area just south of airport, just uh, Hancock Center. I don't know if it's the widest part of the new I-35, but it's the most new right-of-way that they're taking. Right around here, down to our seats on the other side. Well, right on the other side from where we are, which is at 40th Street, is Fiesta Mart. They would be going right up to, I think, within about 15, 20 feet of the wall of the building of the Fiesta Mart. So maybe those are some things that people can visualize. The old Sears Automotive they would be taking out basically the whole of that and the community care clinic that's been set up just north of that. I had a meeting with TxDOT reps. They were very helpful. They were, you know, explained the whole process very well. I don't like the overall plan in the same way that Mike doesn't like the overall plan and some other people don't. 
But as far as the eminent domain process and the direct effect on the Chronicle, yeah, they would be tearing down our building. So <laughs> we would be affected. But eminent domain is a tool that governments use legitimately to take land that, that is legitimately needed. If this were a better project, I would feel better about it. But yeah, so that's sort of where we stand. I wrote public notice column this week about the eminent domain process and how that works and what the timing is and all that. One of the notable things in the meeting is they are planning to make a final decision on three options that are on the table, either of two build options, which are essentially the same. They differ in the way that they would go under or over the railroad tracks up near here, the red line that, that is next to airport and under or over Woodward Avenue down south of the river. One plan would go over, one plan would go under. But as far as the right-of-way goes, it's about the same. They plan to make that final decision whether to do, as they're calling them, alternatives two and three, having already eliminated alternative one, which is the one that Mike was talking about with the depressed lanes, et cetera, and the, and the no higher, no wider that they've eliminated. So they're down to these two options or no build, which is leave it all basically the same. I'm sure there are things they could do, minor things they could do. They plan to make that decision in the summer of 23, so a little less than two years from now. And I think after this current round of public input that they're taking, I think they basically go into a black box and study things for the rest of those two years and will come out with that decision. And they anticipate construction starting in 25. If you look at the decision matrix that they've made, they're pretty negative about the no-build option. I mean, that's still on the table officially, but it's hard looking at what they have said so far and seeing how they would reverse their decision and go to no-build. Absent the sort of public input that Mike is hoping people <laughs> will give, will that change the situation? I don't know. But anyway, that's their envisioned timetable. Decision in 23, construction in 25. Going back to our particular example here at the Chronicle, and that of uh, something like 150 other businesses up and down the corridor who are being displaced. When they make that decision, they would start the land acquisition process. So we would have something less than two years between 23 and 25 to finalize their offer. We can't refuse to sell it to them. They're going to take it if they decide to take it. So uh, chaining yourself to the front of the Chronicle is not going to solve the problem. No, I don't think that'll, I don't think that'll do it. Mike, I'd like it if you could touch on the other alternatives and also give us a little bit of the perspective of the no-build contingency or the people who are just sort of questioning, why are we investing money in this type of infrastructure? Shouldn't we be thinking of a greener future than more highways? That's absolutely also on the table. Two dynamics that are going on here. As Nick mentioned, yes, the no-build option is not what TxDOT wants to do in it will not be what they will recommend solely on their own study results. The kind of an issue for some people is that they're comparing them to a no-build option of I-35 as it exists today. They're not comparing it to an option where we actually remove I-35 or change it in some way that makes it smaller, that makes it less of a requirement. 300,000 cars a day go through downtown Austin on I-35. And that's a number that's just going to keep growing. But do you want to try to build as much of a facility as you can to handle that ever-increasing amount of traffic? Or do you actually want to change the way people get around so that you don't have to? 
so that is one of the things that is influencing other, other visions for the highway. And there are several of those that we talk about in the paper and that have done a lot of their own public outreach, the rethink and the reconnect plans, to bury all of I-35 under caps so that everything above it just becomes the street again to like rebuild East Avenue, recreate the land that was taken out that is now a canyon or just eliminate I-35, turn it into a boulevard. And by doing that, that will help change traffic patterns elsewhere. What TxDOT thinks is the chicken, they think is the egg, <laughs> put it that way. And then there are people who think that the fact that I-35 has done a whole bunch of damage to Austin should be one of the things that TxDOT is trying to fix, you know, that they are giving some attention to, yes, we would like it to be safer. We understand the equity concerns. We understand the environmental concerns. We know it's black mark of the history of Austin, but none of that is as important as making it a more efficient freeway to move 300,000 cars through central Austin. So there are a lot of people who think that, you know, Austin's big enough and important enough that they should care more about how it affects our quality of life and not just the performance of the, you know, the needs of the traveling public. Well, Mike, I think we could probably go another 20 minutes or another 20 hours on this, but we've run out of time. Thank you both for bringing your perspectives. And yeah, if you want to share your perspective with TxDOT, they are soliciting your comments right now through September 24th. And you can find information about how to do that on the Chronicle website. We're going to take a quick break. Guys, thank you both for being here. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having us. Yes, indeed. All right. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicle Show on Co-op 91.7 FM Community Radio for Austin. We've just been listening to a track by a local DJ named Mick Polish, who will be performing at this weekend's Austin Chronicle Hot Sauce Festival. Because in addition to lots and lots of hot sauce, there is also a robust lineup of musical performances happening. So I've asked Austin Chronicle staff writer and music columnist, Rachel Rasco to talk about the bands that are playing and how they fit into Austin's current musical ecosphere. Rachel, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I've asked you here to sample some songs and introduce our listeners to the five musical acts that are performing. But before we get into that, I want you to just talk about, you know, you had a big hand in shaping this lineup. Yeah, we were really excited to be at the Far Out Lounge this year, which I think a lot of us have gotten to know over the past year is a really great spacious outdoor venue. So yeah, alongside the hot sauce, we felt like there would be some more focus on the music this year. And we really just wanted to think about bands that we had missed seeing over the past few months that would yeah, be high energy and really fun and I would say also all of these acts have been written about in the Chronicle before, so highly Chronicle endorsed. (laughs) That's true. You know, high energy is an interesting word because I was kind of wondering, how do you soundtrack a hot sauce festival? What are you going for? Is it high energy? Is it diversity in sounds? Is there an arc to the mood over the four or five hours that they're playing? Yeah, I think Hot Sauce Festival has a legacy of really just kind of being a grab bag of excellent local bands. So I think we always think about diversity of sound, pulling from different genres. No two of these artists are really in the same genre, I would say. So yeah, we are definitely starting off with maybe a more mellow DJ and then really just building up throughout the evening. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a good point that this has been going on for a really long time. I think this is the 31st annual and it's often a really good place to catch bands before they are about to break really big. We've already sampled a little bit of McPolish. It was the only one of the acts who also runs a boutique hot sauce bottling operation, which is a fun fact. And Kevin Curtin, our colleague at the Chronicle, interviewed McPolish about his company, Goodburn Sauce. They source heirloom peppers from around the world, which is very cool. But why don't we move on to the next performer, which I believe is Van Mary. Can you tell us a little bit about Van Mary? Yeah. So, I mean, ever since I've first seen Van Mary perform, I've just been really compelled by the lead songwriter, Emily Whetstone's kind of voice and really raw, clever songwriting style. Yeah, right before the pandemic, actually, the Chronicle had Emily and Van Mary perform at the Austin Music Awards with their Rocky Erickson tribute. So yeah, I've compared her music to the Breeders, kind of salty, sweet, noise pop, and also to some of the kind of deep narrative songwriting of modern artists like Julia Jacqueline. And I believe we're going to listen to her latest track, Connie Converse, which in very Van Mary style references a 50s outsider singer songwriter who mysteriously disappeared. So I love that kind of Easter egg too in this song. That sounds great. Let's listen to an excerpt of Connie Converse. Okay, we were just listening to Van Mary, which is one of the first bands performing at the Austin Chronicle Hot Sauce Festival this weekend. Let's keep rolling. Why don't you tell us about the next band? Yeah, next up we have Indoor Creature, which is a local six-piece group, super high energy. I would say this is another band I was really won over by their live performances that are just kind of like explosive and super exciting. The lead singer, Caleb Fleischer, does really good saxophone solos. And I had kind of been waiting for their recorded music to catch up with this really energetic jazz-influenced, indie pop-influenced sound they developed over the year. And I think they really did that on their latest May album, Living in Darkness, which I was lucky enough to talk to Caleb about. And yeah, it was really interesting to hear how he had integrated some kind of like maybe darker societal themes than you would expect in this really kind of bright, beachy music. And I think you really see that in this song, especially that is aptly titled American Dream. So you can maybe imagine where that's going. All right, well, let's, let's take a quick listen. That was American Dream by Indoor Creature. And I love the way you set that up as, you know, that there's some really dark themes going on because alternately the music is like so... It's so bright and to me, it sounds like sort of the soundtrack to late summer barbecue party. You know, it's just got like very cool vibe. Yeah. The funniest thing Caleb told me is that he was like actually really into kind of the biology of the ocean, which is not really something you hear from people a lot when you think their music sounds beachy, that he is like literally into the beach and the ocean, which shows up a lot on the album too. Absolutely. All right, well, let's segue into, I guess this is in the 6.15 time slot. Very different vibe going on here. Why don't you introduce the next performing artist? Yeah, this next artist, we were so excited to get on the lineup. It's Ghetto Gala. And Ghetto Gala is the collaboration of two Central Texas artists that the Chronicle has been fans of for a while. It's Bastrop, rapper slash singer DZ Brown, 
and kind of local alternative R&B artist Jake Lloyd. And they came together for a really great EP in February, which kind of birthed the ghetto gala concept. And they also called, the EP was also named Ghetto Gala. Yeah, and it's just a really Southern Texan collection of exploratory hip hop songs, kind of playing with this concept of being at a really opulent, extravagant gala. And I think right now we have more of a slow jam from the record called Stella, which I caught today includes a reference to the 1996 rom-com, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Very nice. (laughs) Okay, let's listen to to Stella. And, you know, Rachel, I thought it was funny that they released a self-titled EP, Ghetto Gala. And then a few months ago, or at the beginning of the summer, they also released a chopped and slowed version of the same EP. Does that happen pretty frequently or... I think for someone like DZ Brown and Jake, it doesn't surprise me because their music is deeply referential to Texas roots and, you know, the Houston chopped and screwed legacy. So I think that's a really good fit for them. And yeah, they're also just such great artists in their own right. They've put out really good records this year that have been really exciting to hear. So to see them both on stage is very special treat. Well, we've only got one musical act left. That is Leyline, and I'm going to let you set up the music clip. Yeah, we were, Leyline is a band that I would say pretty uniquely I kind of fell for during the pandemic because they were pretty prolific about live streaming. They were part of the virtual ACL, which was really nice to see. And yeah, they're a local quartet focused on acoustic instruments and really stunning harmonies a lot of organically kind of inclined movement in those you know beautiful vocal parts and the chronicle has celebrated their sophomore album we saw blue earlier this year which was very influenced by the band's 2017 trip to brazil that they later put out a documentary about and have talked about a lot and we're gonna listen to their new single since that record came out which is their first all spanish language song and I think it's a really good more like simple distillation of kind of the harmonies and instrumentals that they have going on and it's called En Busca del Agua. I'm just kind of imagining you know Leyline is the last act of the day I'm just kind of imagining that at dusk I think that's going to sound pretty magical. Yeah Leyline definitely has like a magical vibe I think just because they're like a less plugged in band they're really like relying on each other and interacting with each other in a way that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, and also pretty exciting. This is going to be for a lot of people, I think, the first opportunity to get back out there and hear some live music. So good job putting together a great lineup. Yeah, Uh, I was very excited to be part of it. And I know a lot of the bands were excited, too, to be part of a legacy like the Hot Slaps Festival. Well, if you want to see any of those musical performers this weekend, they will all be at the Austin Chronicle Hot Sauce Festival on Sunday, September 12th at the Far Out Lounge. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again to my guests, Rachel Rasco, Mike Clark-Madison, and Nick Barbaro. Thanks also go to co-op engineers Bob Daly and Andrew Solon, and to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music. We'll see you next week.